0: Guys, it's an absolute honor and privilege for us to be here this morning we We love Jim and Rachel, as Lorraine said. We've become firm friends of ours over the past couple of years um since we've taken over the leadership here and um I just want to say that we've we've spent about a time together now and we've shared vision and our heart for Falkirk and St Andrews, and so much of it is aligned so much so that I believe that in in the vineyard in Scotland now um I believe that God has a calling the vineyard to do something significant in Scotland, and the reason, the reason I believe that firmly is when we speak to these guys and we speak to other guys throughout the country, God is narrowing our focus. He's pointing us towards a purpose and a plan for this nation, and we don't have to look too far to see how much this country needs God. Um, but you know, if this country is going to fulfill its potential, um, it needs the church to step up and step in. Because the church is the only hope for the world, did you know that that's what god's plan God actually said i'm going to change the world, but i'm going to do it through my church i'm going to do it through he 's going to do it through you guys he's going to do it through us he's going to do it through others so we um yeah, so we're so delighted to 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 be here um interesting we, we've actually been in the, the vineyard for i don't know twelve thirteen years um But we've been doing a series at our church on vineyard values the past uh, three months. Uh, And it's been interesting because it's caused Lorraine and I to do a lot of reflection about what that means for us to be part of this movement called Vineyard. And what we uh, certainly for me, I reflected on a lot of things in my past and realized I had been affected by the vineyard long before I was in the vineyard. You know, through worship, teaching. I actually, when we joined the Vineyard Church, or just before we joined at, um, at the Almond Vineyard in Edinburgh, I didn't even know that the Vineyard was a church movement. I, I, I thought it was like a record label. <laughs> uh, I just thought, all these amazing songs and uh, CDs and things. Um, but, you know, I really believe that um, what we have in this movement, and this isn't to demean or talk down any other denomination or movement, because I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love its diversity. But there's something about this movement, that God has his hand on the controls of this movement. He has his hand on this, and he wants to keep reminding us to go back to what we are called to do. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because we have a wealth of values in this, in this movement. Our values underpin what we do, our values, I guess, are like, it's like a foundation on a building. You, you don't see a foundation, but the foundation actually um, it defines the shape of what the building is going to look like. It defines what the finished structure is going to be. And that's what our values do. They, they inform us and they, they, and they prioritize us into what is important. And one of our core values that I, I want to um, talk about this morning is one that we call Remember the Poor. Remember the Poor. And um, I have found this particularly challenging. Um, As I've looked at this, God, He's challenged me, spoken to me, and actually revealed things to me as I've prepared this talk. And some of it has been quite difficult to receive, because when it comes to this subject, it's revealed shortcomings and selfishness in my life that I don't want to think about, and I certainly don't want to admit to you this morning. But when you come into this subject of Remember the Poor... There's no hiding place. There's no hiding place. Um, and we'll come back to that in a minute. One of the questions we've got to ask when we, we, we look at this value of remember the poor, it's like, who, who are the poor? You know, it's like, it's an easy phrase to make, who are the, who are the poor? And today, we often look at um, poverty through the lens of economics or personal finance problems. That's, that's generally how it's portrayed yeah, in Western, Western society. But in the Word of God, the New Testament, the poor are generally seen as that, yes, you know, um, materially poor. But also, when Jesus talks about the poor, and we we see this in the kind of people that he directed his attention towards. Jesus directed attention towards the poor in terms of those that are powerless in society. Those who lack basic necessities to sustain their life. People without resources. People without a voice. Those who lack social respect and those who lack material goods. You know, so poverty can be quite a wide ranging thing. And one thing, my, my view in poverty is this that poverty is a disease of our society today. It's a disease. Poverty is a disease. And poverty is not what God plans for his creation. And it's not what God wants for his creation. That's a bit downbeat, isn't it? But. There's good news because I believe that the remedies for all the ills in our society are found in the life and the teachings of Jesus. There is an answer. There is hope. And there's a direction that if the church of Jesus Christ gets in line with that purpose that Jesus set out, then we can see our nation. We can see this town or St. Andrew's a city. Is it technically a city? Is it? Come on. (laughs) We've just, we've just declared St. Andrews a city. So start, start tweeting now. Start tweeting now. It's got, it's got big enough churches to call cathedrals and it's got a university. That kind of makes it a city, doesn't it? So, um, But you know, yeah, but if we can get in line with what God is doing, I believe that we can see transformation in our towns and cities throughout this, this land and that our nation will be transformed. Now you might think, Andrew, yeah, I've heard that before, it's pie in the sky. I'll tell you, if that is not our plan and purpose in Jesus, then what I do for a living is void and obsolete. I've got to believe that. I've got to believe that that is God's plan and purpose, and I seriously do. And you know, God, it would seem, has a special place in his heart for the poor. Poverty is mentioned, either directly or indirectly, more than 2,000 times in the Bible. 2,000 times. That makes me think, that we have to take it seriously. We have to take it seriously. John Wimber, who is the the kind of founding father of the Vineyard Movement, said this about the poor. He said, if we ever ignore the poor and needy, we're as good as dead as people. If we ever ignore the poor and needy, we're as good as dead as a people. Lorraine and I, uh, in the summer, we, we didn't get away for a, a holiday. But my, we've got two daughters. My youngest daughter's getting married next year, so our holiday money, sadly, is going towards paying for some of her wedding. We, we, we do love her. And are, are, in, no, are in no way um, upset about that. Um, <laughs> right, that's, that's probably less believable, less believable than St Andrew's as a city. so. Um, but anyway, we 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 went on a bit of a kind of road trip. We, we went down to Birmingham to meet, uh, we wanted to see some of the guys at North Birmingham. They were doing a prayer ministry. we were interested in, so we went down there. And while we were there, we just thought, we'll just we'll just see where God wants to take us. Really, not our general um, default setting. Um, we're we probably plan things a bit, bit more than that. But when we were down there, we were just scrolling through social media and we saw people commenting that, that, that we're at an event called Naturally Supernatural. So we thought, oh, we'll see where it. is. We're in England. So we'll <laughs> see, this was in England, so we'll see, we'll see where it is. So it turned out it was only um, a 40-minute drive where we're staying. So we went along and um, I don't know if you know that conference, but it's run by um, a soul survivor, Mike Pilavachi, who's a uh, well-known in the vineyard, great friend. But when we turned up, uh, in the morning, we did worship, and then they got the guys up that were going to speak, and they did this interview. And lo and behold, it was the pastors of Cosby Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. So we felt, yes, <laughs> yes. So we, so we thought that this this will be good because we we've been, been trying we've been trying to be like those guys for a long time. So it was it was uh, so Neil and Janet were there from Cosby Coast, and then. They had a third person from their, their, their team there, and it was Mark Marks. You might have heard of it as the Healing in the Streets Ministry. So we were like, great. We're at home. We've got, we've got vineyard stuff going on here. So we felt right at home. But there was one thing. They were telling their story, and this was an audience that was a, not a vineyard audience. It was Soul Survivor, and they were telling some of the story about their church. And Neil said this, that um, they, 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 they narrowed down their purpose into one sentence. I love a a soundbite. This is a soundbite, but it's a great one. It's a great one. Neil said this, when they're looking at ministry, or looking at things that they're going to do as a church, they ask two questions. Does it point us towards the poor, and does it point others towards Jesus? Does it point us towards the poor, and does it point others towards Jesus? That is what we'd been searching for in our church, like something that could just, we could just a focus to say, this is what we're about. And we've pinched that. Uh, We are now making that a a purpose for Falkirk, Falkirk Vineyard. You see, the church's call is to care for the marginalized and impoverished among us. Jesus' word cuts to the quick. When Jesus said this in Matthew 25 and 40, he said, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. You know, how we treat other people is actually a reflection of what we feel about Jesus. The way we treat other people is a reflection of what we feel about Jesus. What you did to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. In the vineyard, we we lean towards the poor, to the outsider and the outcast with the compassion of Jesus. I heard someone describe it once as we run, we run towards the fire. We run towards the fire. And we believe that faithfulness to Jesus means that we're faithful to remember the poor, to build community among the poor, and love the poor compelled by the love of Jesus. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus spending a considerable amount of time among the poor, the outcasts, and the outsiders. He served them, he encouraged them, he spoke up for them and stood up for them. And in doing this, Jesus is continuing um, biblical teaching that we find way back in the, the book of Deuteronomy. It says in Deuteronomy 10, The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. This is Deuteronomy. This is like way back at the beginning. And Jesus, again, there's proof that Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. I was chatting with Jim on the phone this week, just getting our um, logistics ready for today. And he was telling me that you guys have been looking through the book of Acts which is great. I was so excited when he said that because you guys are moving into a dangerous place. If you're you're studying the book of Acts, you're moving into danger because even the name of the book sets you on a a rocky road. It's called the Acts of the Apostle. Acts of the Apostles. Not the theoretical living of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. And um, you may have covered this already, but uh, just, uh, you know, in the early church, as it's described in the, the book of Acts, the early church takes up the teachings and the example of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 gives us an account of one of the most significant events in history, um, which has become a, been known as the day of Pentecost. Um, and on that day, uh, the apostle Peter preached, there's a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit and at least 3,000 people. Came, came to faith that day. Incredible. That's I'm trying to get a hold of that sermon, by the way, because I want to preach that sermon <laughs> 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 and see if I can get the 3,000. Um, but at that time, straight on the back of that, he talks about this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, straight after that, it says that, this, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord, Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe, we can do all the evangelical or evangelistic programs we like. But based on this model, which is the first model, (laughs) that meeting the needs of the poor is the road to salvation. You see, the church didn't just meet together and hang out together and share meals with each other. They went out. It was with the wider community. It actually goes on to say, that they were known in the marketplace, i.e. their everyday life, for performing the signs and wonders of Jesus. And you know, this mandate and this model of what the church should be has never changed. It's never changed. The only time it's been adapted is when we've changed it, when the church changes it themselves. But this purpose and mandate from Jesus, demonstrated by the apostles, demonstrated by the early church, has never changed. And since those early days, the church of Jesus Christ has been marked by our care for the least, the last, and the lost. You see, when the marginalized and the forgotten society are brought in at the center of a loving community that worships Jesus, powerful things begin to happen. And I believe for you, Kingdom Vineyard, Jesus has called you to care for the poor both for their sake and your own. You may expect when we cover a subject like Remember the Poor, we can talk about how you serve your community of St. Andrews, and I know that you do that well. Okay, so don't don't take any of this as a discouragement or a rebuke. You guys are doing a great job. I know that you have uh, your storehouse ministry, and that is helping a lot of people. But I know that you do so much more. And even hearing about your, your toys for Christmas and things, all this stuff is good. And that, what that means is that we are steering in the right direction. We are going down the right path. But I want to encourage you and honor you in this. That all of these things that you do as a church here in St. Andrews are really important. In fact, no, they're, they're more than important. They are absolutely critical. See, Jesus has set you apart to help others as your highest priority or one of your highest priorities. See, when we help others, it's an act of worship. And we would say that worship is our highest priority. So if we're helping the poor and the needs of others, when we go beyond ourselves, it's an act of worship towards Jesus. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, when you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. So when we meet the needs of the poor, we're doing it for Jesus. So it's an act of worship. It's a high priority or our highest priority. Helping others as a must do. Helping others as a non negotiable. Helping others marks you as a follower of Jesus. Jesus um one of the things I love in the gospel, I love um, I love Jesus' um confrontations with the Pharisees. It's one of my favorite it's like a it's like a, it's like a, it's a great series, isn't it? You know, like series one, episode two, the next installment of the Pharisees. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that these guys are so so uh, wise and knowledgeable, and, and they know everything about the law, and they, they use it to try and catch Jesus out. So they're on that track again um, with Jesus. But Jesus set a priority one time. the Pharisees asked him, what is the greatest commandment? So, they, they, so they're trying to get Jesus into a debate and an argument and they think, ah, we know this stuff, we can trip you up. But Jesus blows their mind <laughs> and says this, Jesus replied to the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So the Pharisees would be thinking, okay, tick, box ticked. Then it was, hang on guys, there's a second one that's equally important which is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now We've not got time to go into what the entire law and the demands of the prophet is. But basically Jesus is saying, everything that God has ever given us, everything that he's ever instructed us can be based on these two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And with these words, Jesus declared the purpose for those who say they follow him. See, if you worship God, if you're sincere in your devotion and your commitment to him, if you've truly given your life over to Jesus, then the evidence will be seen in how you are with other people. Did that sink in there? if you're sincere in your devotion and commitment to to God, if you worship God, if you've truly given over your life to Him, then the evidence will be seen in how you are with other people. The Apostle Peter in his second letter challenges us to confirm our salvation, to reveal our transformation in Jesus by our relationship with other people. Second Peter 1. I'm going to read this. It's quite long, but just let me read it because I think it's important. It says, "...by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. <coughs> we have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption by human, caused by human desires." In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. That list of lifestyle, I guess we could call it, is closed with, have brotherly, brotherly affection with love for everyone. See, so you, you can't escape it. You can't escape it. No matter how clever we think we are, no matter how knowledgeable we think we are of the, of the, the word of God, we can't escape that Jesus has set us on a focus and a mission to help those in need and to spread his word beyond ourselves and beyond the four walls of the church. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, you don't just receive a golden ticket to heaven and then just sit around kicking your heels waiting for the day that God receives you home. And it's also not so that you can fill yourself full of the knowledge and wonders of the word of God and have interest in discussions and debate about the Bible or theology. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would encourage it. As long as it comes with or results in loving your neighbor as yourself and having brotherly affection with love for everyone. That has got to be the caveat. That has got to be the result, the focus of all that we do. Paul actually talks about that. He talks about that a few times through his letters, about sometimes when we debate and argue um, and and come into conflict over the word of God, he, he calls it a waste of time. Not because the word of God's not worth debating or talking about, but because it only if it comes with the fruit of what Jesus has called us to do is it worth talking about. Paul in his letter to the Galatian church writes about the mandate that he was given by the other apostles, uh, James, Peter, and John. This is an interest, this this always interests me, right? We we suddenly when when the when we're in the gospels. Guys like Peter, James, and John are like um, they're ordinary, uneducated, working-class fishermen. And that's what they look like when they're hanging about with Jesus. Then we get to the book of Acts, and then they start behaving like Jesus. They suddenly become these grandiose, important you know, um, men. The transformation in these guys' lives is absolutely incredible. And then we get Paul, who is a highly educated um, lawyer, Uh, religious zealot, uh, knows uh, the the Jewish laws back to front. He knew about Roman law. He was like, you couldn't get a more educated guy than Paul. And Paul actually goes to these three uneducated fishermen to be released to go out and spread the word of God and plant the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And Paul was getting a rough time from established, uh, say established religious leaders. He's got enough time from religious leaders in Jerusalem because he was not only teaching what Jesus had taught, which was okay, their problem with Paul was he was implementing it. <laughs> <laughs> do you love it? So it's like, that's great. We love this teaching, Paul. Now stop doing what you said you're going to do, right? We call it in Vineyard doing the stuff. Paul was doing the stuff, and he was taking this message beyond the Jews to the non-Jews who were known as Gentiles. Anyway, it says this in Galatians uh, 2. Um, it says, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized, this is Paul talking. James, Peter, and John recognized the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to, encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. The context of this is that Paul is about to embark on the first and probably the greatest and most dangerous mission that any preacher, leader, or pastor has ever undertaken before or since. So he goes to James, Peter, and John, who are widely widely recognizes Jesus' right-hand men for guidance and encouragement. And he's probably thinking, these guys hung out with Jesus. They got the inside track. They they saw Jesus do all the stuff that, uh, that, 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 that we want to do. So he says, I'll get some real amazing insight and wisdom from these guys as I go out on mission. And he says, the only suggestion they offered was keep on helping the poor. We just need to pause and just let that sink in for a minute. Paul about to set on the greatest mission ever attempted, and the only suggestion he was offered was keep on helping the poor. James Peter and John knew that had to be the focus because that was the focus of Jesus. It's interesting how when we we read all Paul's writings and all his instructions about church leadership or organization and structure we quite often fail to see that the purpose behind all of Paul's teaching was to equip God's people to serve others, to encourage and build up and spread the good news about Jesus. That's why he was putting structures in place. And yet quite often we get hung up on that and forget that's actually a means to an end. But his objective was to help the poor. Even in... um, when he talks about the amazing gifting, so about apostles and evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers, he says this in Ephesians 4, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You see, these um, positions weren't designed for merit right, or to, to raise someone's profile, they were there to equip others to do the work of Jesus. Everything that Paul wrote, everything that we read about the apostles doing and Acts, everything we read about Jesus doing is, should be viewed through the lens of helping others, loving your neighbor as yourself, showing brotherly affection and love towards everyone. And the apostle Peter, apostles Peter, James and John called out God's purpose for Paul. That's what they did when Paul went to them. And where did they get this Uh, idea to give Paul a mandate to help the poor. How are we doing for time? Okay, two minutes. (laughs) Because I love this, because I think this is where they got the idea from. This is what they saw. Okay, we've got, in Luke 4, we see Jesus. He goes into the the wilderness to be tempted for um, 40 days. And just before he goes, Luke records this, in Luke 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit, to the wilderness or in the wilderness, filled the Holy Spirit forty days later Jesus returns home, says this in Luke 4 and 14 Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. he then comes home he goes to his local church aka the synagogue, and um, he's, he's, he asked for a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah now they, they didn't they didn't have Bibles in these days, all the, all the Old Testament teachings were on these big long scrolls and he could see Jesus, he must have been going, Shh, rolling it out to find the one he's looking for. And there was so many prophecies that he could have read about himself from the prophet Isaiah. Some, some that would have, um, he would have had a good time with the Pharisees about as well. But the one he chose was this, he said this, Luke 4 and 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he had unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. <laughs> All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This is Jesus declaring his mandate from God, from the Father. This is Jesus saying, this is what I've come to do. And know he could have chosen to read one of many Old Testament prophecies that were written about the coming of the Messiah, but he chose this one. And I've come to the conclusion that Jesus chose to reveal the fulfillment of this prophecy in particular to show that the kingdom of God was being revealed through power, not words. You see, it's easier to talk well than to perform well. It's easier to talk well than to perform well. Jesus, this is Jesus announcing his purpose. But he announced it declaring that the Spirit of God was upon him. And he knew that without the presence of God filling him in every way, he would not fulfill what had been prophesied. I believe God wants me to say this day, this morning, Kingdom Vineyard. Seek His presence, not His power. Seek His presence, not His power. The power is in the presence. Yeah? The power is in the presence. Seek Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Power comes from the presence. Do you want to find and fulfill your God-given and God-anointed purpose? You don't have to say it out loud. but I want you I to, to answer that. Do you want to find and fulfill your God-given and God-anointed purpose? Then you need the spirit of the sovereign God to be upon you. Without the spirit, you can never fulfill your purpose Jesus lived his life completely and only to do what the Father told him to do. Jesus lived to show us what God can do with someone who's completely surrendered to the will of the Father. The religious leaders of the day thought Jesus was going to free the nation of Israel from Roman occupancy and give them back their country, their land, their birthright. But the kingdom of God isn't about gaining land territory. It's about gaining spiritual territory. And the purpose of the church isn't just to be, meet needs. It's about lives transformed. Jesus said this of himself, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and a better life than they ever dreamed of. Isn't that what you want for St. Andrew's? Isn't that what you want for St. Andrew's? Pope puts it this way in St. Corinthians. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's what we want to see in St. Andrews. That's what we want to see in Falkirk. That's what we want to see in Scotland. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? (laughs)